Welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with me, your host, Connor Buonels. For today, we jump 400 years into the future to discuss the lives of probably one of the most important but widely unknown military figures of the 19th century, Adolf Neal. Adolf Neal was, for lack of a better word, the French version of Helmut von Moltke, the famous Prussian general who reformed the the Prussian military system into one of rapid deployment, rapid mobilization, and in doing so made it one of the most advanced and strongest armies in Europe at that time. Adolf Neal was the French equivalent of this. However, he would never see his reforms through due to his a premature death, hence why he's not very widely known amongst uh, many, many individuals. Due to Adolf Neal's death, his reforms, as I mentioned, were never seen through. And it's really interesting to ponder the question of what would have happened if he actually had lived to see these reforms through, which we'll discuss later on in the episode, in today's show. But as always, let's get into the details of his early life before we get into the nitty-gritty details of his military reforms for France. He was born in Murat, Hattagaron, on the 4th of October, 1802, and upon becoming of age, entered the École Polytechnique in 1821. It's a university in the suburbs of Paris, to be more specific. Neil graduated from the university in 1823 with the rank of sous-lieutenant and then would enroll in the, in the nation's engineering military school in Metz. In 1825, he would be made a second lieutenant and was posted with the nation's third regiment of engineers, where he would remain in service until 1829, upon which he would become the first become first lieutenant and then lieutenant brevete in 1827. In 1828, he would then be attached to the defense works in Longwy, and then at the start of 1829 to those in Toulon. He was made a second captain on the 25th of January, 1829, from which until 1831, he served in the 1st Regiment of Engineers. He was a chef de service in, in Yiris and was employed in Toulon and Bayonne in 1830 and 1831. And on September 1st of 1831, he was made the captain in second brevete uh, and entered the 2nd Regiment of Engineers. So if you couldn't tell already, it's obvious that Adolf Neal was by trade more of a military engineer more so than anything else. And this would be seen once again where he was promoted in 1835, the first captain, and transferred back to the 1st Regiment of Engineers. In 1836, he would be employed at the Fortifications Depot in Paris before being attached to a military staff of the Engineering Division of the Expeditionary Corps, which was sent to Constantine in Algeria. This was during the French conquest of Algeria, which occurred during the 1830s. And it was during the storming of Constantine, a siege in which he would be leading one of the um, assault columns against the Algerian forces. Although the French would lose that, he was made a battalion chief for his efforts on the 24th of December, 1837, and would remain in Algeria, helping the French fight off the Algerian resistance movement in the region. Between 1839 and 1840, Neil would serve with the 3rd Regiment of Engineers, and between 1840 and 1846, he would be posted on the fortification works of Paris's North Banks as Fortifications Director at Saint-Denis, and he was promoted to Lieutenant Colonel of 1842 and then Colonel in May of 1846, and until 1849, he would command the 2nd Regiment of Engineers, a regiment in which he was earlier stationed within as a lower rank. He was next of service as the Chief of Staff to General Valiant during the 1849 Siege of Rome, where the French forces sought to retake from the take retake the city from the forces of the Roman Republic, a nation which had risen up during the revolutions of 1848 and established itself within the city of Rome. Following and following Rome's capture, which the French were able to eventually do, it was Neil who was charged with the delivering the news to the Pope who had taken refuge in Gaeta. However, as can be found in a letter to his family, Neil was actually opposed to the armed intervention to restore Pope Pius the Ninth 
to his temporal powers. And while not important to the story of Neil himself, a fun fact about the Roman Republic is that it was the first nation to constitutionally ban capital punishment. Now, back, moving back onto Neil, on the 13th of July, 1849, Neil was made a general de brigade in the Engineering Corps for the Expeditionary Forces in the Mediterranean, and by 1815 was a chef du service for the Engineering Corps in the War Ministry. In 1851, Neil had used all his previous experience in fortifications to become a member of a committee of fortifications, which was in charge of overseeing the fortifications in the Second French Empire. He would then become a member of the Council of State in 1852, and the Council of State was a body of the French national government that acts as a both legal advisor of the executive branch and as the Supreme Court for administrative justice. So this was a big role for Neil. And in 1853, Neil would then be promoted to general of the division. Neil, however, would not be remaining on the sidelines, peacefully managing France's fortifications forever, and he would partake in the Crimean War during the 1850s against Russia. Neil was employed in the expedition originally to the Baltic Sea and directed operations against the Bomersand. The Bomersand was a coastal Russian fortress in the Åland Islands in the Baltic Sea, a strategic position that allowed whoever owned that to, necess- to really control what came in and out of Russia, since it was really op- an opening to St. Petersburg. The Bomersound, however, by the time of the Allied attack, had not been completed, with only two towers of the planned 12 subsidiary towers being completed at the time of battle. When the war broke out, the fortress had remained vulnerable, especially against forces attacking over land, as the designers of the fortress had assumed that the narrow sea passages that were near the fortress would not be passable for large naval ships. While this assumption had held true during the time of sailing ships, the invention of new steamships made it made it more easy to reach weakly defended sections of the fortress. And so the 20,000 seamen and 12,000 soldiers from both the French and British forces would manage to take the Bomer Sound from Russians after two battles, demolishing it, demolishing it and ensuring that no Russian fortress would be rebuilt upon it. In 1855, following his success in the Baltic, Neil was sent to Crimea, where he succeeded General Bizalt as the chief of engineers in the campaign against the Russian forces in the region. It is important to note by this time, Neil had been the most trusted advisor to the Emperor Napoleon III and became his aide-de-camp in 1854, where he was empowered to advise generals on the spot in accordance with the wishes of the sovereign and the home government. This made Neil essentially the highest in the chain of command for the Crimean campaign against the French forces, outranking even those such as the famous Marshal Canrobert, the commander-in-chief of the French forces, and his successor, Amlebre Pellissier. However, the power of Neil would come to go against the ideas of Pellissier, who decided to run and wanted to run the campaign with as little interference from Paris as possible. However, Pellissier's goals would eventually prevail over any desires from the French government back home, which was to the French's ultimate benefit in the end. As chief of engineers, Neil carried out his task with as much success as could be expected, and in September of 1855, he directed the siege operations at the Battle of Malkoff alongside General MacMahon as part of the Siege of Sevastopol. Here is where I feel that I need to briefly discuss the Siege of Sevastopol, which was one of the largest battles of the 18th century, and one that deserves to be discussed in a bit more detail, just so you can understand the scale, severity, and importance of the siege that essentially ended the Crimean War. So for brief context of what the Crimean War was as a whole, of which the Siege of Sevastopol was the final part of, it was a conflict lasting from 1853 and 1856, in which the forces of the Second French Empire, the British Empire, the Ottoman Empire, and the Kingdom of Sardinia Piedmont was pitted against the forces of the Russian Empire, who at this time was considered the largest military power in Europe. Seeking to 
to score a decisive victory over the Russians, as by this point in the war, tensions between the Allied powers, primarily Britain and France, were increasing as each side began to blame each other for the failures on the battlefield, which can be most notably seen during the Battle of Balaclava, where the famous but ill-fated Charge of the Light Brigade occurred. So to achieve this decisive victory, the Allied forces turned their eyes towards the city of Sevastopol, the capital of Crimea and the home of the Russian Black Fleet. While the Russians could have decided to retreat from the city and abandon it, as it was not a strategically decisive point given the nature of the war, the Tsar Nicholas had decided to spare no expense in defending the city against Allied forces. Thus, a total for on both sides, 175,000 Allied troops would go against 80,000 Russian defenders, with each side suffering almost over 100,000 casualties, both civilian and military, over the course of the one-year siege, with most deaths being mainly due to disease rather than actual combat. Now, it is during the siege that, as I mentioned earlier, the Battle of Malakoff that Neolid comes into play. Since the start of the siege, Malakoff had been a hardly, hotly contested zone, as the area provided a good range and sight over much of the city, and the Russians had established multiple artillery batteries upon this height. The French success in storming Malakoff was decisive and would come to force the Russians to abandon the city to the Allied forces and subsequently make peace in the Treaty of Paris in 1856. Now going back to Neil in particular, for his services in the Battle of Malakoff, he was awarded the Grand Cross of the Legion d'Honneur for his services. And from 1855 to 1859 after the Crimean War, Neil was employed at the nation's military headquarters and served in the French Senate upon his appointment by Napoleon III. Welcome back for all of you just joining us to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're talking about Adolphe Neil, a Marshal of France and Minister of War for the Second French Empire, primarily during the 1860s. So following his interventions in the Crimean War, as I mentioned, in 1858, Neil would lead diplomatic discussions with Count Cavour of Sardinia-Piedmont and the King Victor Emmanuel with the aims of cementing alliance between the two nations, preparing the marriage of Prince Napoleon and Princess Matilde of Savoy. Neil, however, would once again return to combat following these negotiations in 1866 during the Second Italian War of Independence against the Austrian Empire. And it was during this war that Neil made his prowess as a battlefield commander known, as during his command of the French Fourth Corps, commanding them at the battles of Magenta and Solferino. It was at the Battle of Solferino that he truly distinguished himself, as amid confusion over the disposition of the Austrian army lined up against them, Neil's corps had become isolated on the battlefield and was forced to, for an entire day, fight a desperate holding action lest the French army collapse. And he managed to hold the line, and it was on the fields of Solferino after that battle that Neil was made a Marshal of France by Emperor Napoleon III. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for came for Neil on the 20th of January, 1867, where Emperor Napoleon III named Adolphe Neil the Minister of War for the French Empire. And it was in this capacity, following the Austrians' defeat by both the French and also the Prussian decisive victory over the Austrians in the Austro-Prussian War of 1866, that Emperor Napoleon III wanted to institute more Prussian-esque reforms within the French Empire. And to this capacity, Adolphe Neil drafted and began to carry out several far-reaching schemes in regards to army reforms that were based on universal service and the automatic creation of large reserves, which only at this time needed time to mature. These desires were based off, as I mentioned, Napoleon III's desire for a more Prussian military system, but also the fact that the French army in recent years, while having defeated the Russians during the Crimean War, was suffering in regards to quality and also in regards to size, as while many nations were growing in population, the French population was actually stagnating, leading to smaller amounts of troops joining the French army and lower conscription rates. 
Now is the fun part where we're going to get into the nitty-gritty details of what exactly Neil's army reforms were. Now, the most prominent of his military reforms is the creation of a new reserve for the nation, the Garde Mobile, which was intended to be a body which would, in fact, conscript everyone who had been able to avoid military service. The Guard would also take in all conscripts all conscripts on completion of their army service. Note that at this time, France did have a system of conscription in place, and that's what this is referring to. Uh, Neil would attempt to bolster French military power through this, creating a service which would provide reserves to be added to the regular French army upon a declaration of war. Although there was conscription into the army, as I was mentioning, not only was it not universal, but middle-class people could actually purchase exemptions for their sons in a system known as replacement. Now, to be more specific, under the system of replacement, wealthy citizens chosen for military service could buy a buy a lot could pay a sum of money originally enough to pay someone else to serve in their place instead of being made to join the military themselves allowing them to avoid the universal conscription which is what neil wanted to avoid and work around through his proposal of the garde mobile unfortunately for neil however both the left and right in the corps legislaf which was at this point the legislative body for the French Empire during the second half of Napoleon's reign, which is known as the Liberal Empire, because it was during this that he decentralized his uh, executive powers and actually began to give more to the legislative body. And as a result of this, the legislative body took great issue with Neil's proposed reforms. On the Many who were on the right side of the political leanings in France wanted an all-professional army, and the left were also opposed to Bonapartist militarism or wanted a people in arms as their defense service. The proposal also meant opposition for the nation's military officials, who thought that after the, years, the French success in the Crimean War and against the Austrians, the French army was superior to that of almost every army in Europe. And also the nation's clergy was also concerned with this, and they thought that increased time in the barracks would lead to the perversion of military men. Due to, this, due to this opposition by the main legislative bodies of France, not much money was spent on equipment or training for the Garde Mobile. However, it did eventually pass during the, the Neil Laws in 1868. Its authority to conscript was also diminished. Servicemen were trained 14 days per year, each one follow, not followed by another, so they could return home to sleep. The service was not even permitted to deploy beyond local areas of which the units were formed. Thus, they were hardly mobile at all. They did not get the excellent French Chesapeake rifle either, which was one of its key advantages over the Prussians during the coming Franco-Prussian War. And when the Franco-Prussian War eventually did come up, the troops in the Garde Mobile were called up, and they received a mixture of inferior equipment bought from foreign countries, which incredibly decreased the efficiency of this unit. Had Neil lived long enough to see his reforms through, and if the Franco-Prussian War had maybe not come earlier, it is likely that the Imperial French Army would have had 800,000 active and reserve personnel, backed by 500,000 members of the Mobile Guard going into the Franco-Prussian War. But when war did come in 1870, the French were not able to immediately field anywhere near the size of an army, only being able to field 350,000 men who were part of the professional and active army. And in part, this was due to the disastrous military invention, intervention in Mexico, which had cost France a lot of time and money alongside political power and men and supplies, but also its ineffective and slow mobilization plans and its lack of utilization of the railroads, something which Helmuth von Moltke and the Prussians used much to their advantage. While Neil did not achieve complete success in reforming the nation's conscription and reserve system, he did achieve success in updating some of the nation's weaponry, more specifically the introduction of the chess pot, which ushered in an era of modern bolt-action breech-loading rifles. In the Franco-Prussian War, the chess pot meant its Prussian counterpart, the Dries needle rifle. 
The chest pod had several advantages over this rifle. It featured a rubber obturator on the bolt head to provide a more efficient gas seal, and although the chest pods fired a smaller caliber, the chest pod ammunition had more gunpowder in it, which resulted in a higher muzzle velocity over a flatter trajectory and a longer range, allowing the chest pod to outrange traditional Prussian rifles. And outside of the chest pod, the French had also attempted to integrate probably one of the earliest forms of the machine gun in existence, the mitrailleuse. The mitrailleuse were used in many of the major engagements of the Franco-Prussian War, but their small numbers greatly restricted their effectiveness, alongside their flaw usage, which was a serious problem on the battlefield. While the, the mitrailleuse were inherently inaccurate in a ballistic sense, they were often unable to zero in on targets quickly enough at great distances, and individual 25-round salvos were also too tightly grouped and lacked lateral dispersion. And to make matters worse, the complex firing mechanisms on these guns were vulnerable to damage at the hands of inexperienced crews, who were actually not very well trained in using these. And following of the mechanism by black powder combustion residues and thus difficulties in closing the breach were reported as a problem after prolonged firings with the gun. The battlefield use was also a major fatal flawed concept with the use of the weapon. To avoid being hit by the Prussian rifles, the mitrailleuse batteries were systematically deployed about 1,400 meters from the Prussian lines. And although the maximum range of the gun was around 3,400 meters, the distances at which they were typically engaged rarely exceeded 2,000 meters, which was less than the reach of French field artillery. However accurate fire at 1,500 yards was, it was always extremely difficult to achieve with the typical open sights present on the gun. For instance, military use bullets' impacts on the ground could not be observed in the far distance unless enemy ranks had been disrupted by hits from them, making it very hard to tell if they were actually accurately firing the weapon at the enemies and hitting them at all. The other strategical and tactical flaw in the use of this weapon was the fact it was used more as artillery than it was infantry support, meaning it was easily taken down by Krupp artillery, which had a far longer range and was able to strike these weapons before they could even be used in battle. And much like Helmut von Moltke, moving on to yet another military reform of Niels, Neil recognized the importance of the use of rails in the deployment of troops in combat, something that both Helmut von Moltke and Neil learned from observing the United States Civil War. And Neil went so far as to implement new regulations for the transportation of troops by rail in France, and created a new civil military commission in 1869 to answer the questions of military versus economic use of railroads. And he also, through this, encouraged new military railroads to be constructed near and within Alsace-Lorraine. However, many of his plans for the railroads were not found until February of 1870, after his death, and by then the Franco-Prussian War was only a few months away from commencing. Neil, during his time of ministered war, had also begun preparations for a war against Prussia. However, as the general Hugues Louis Jardis would later say, the only actual planning Neil had managed to complete before his death was in assigning generals and their staff to positions in case of war. However, Neil had earlier ordered a survey of German fortifications around the Rhine River, alongside an evaluation of German coastal defenses in the event that it was determined feasible for the French to stage a naval invasion in northern Germany. However, these defenses were proven to be too powerful, and such an idea was never undertaken during the Franco-Prussian War. And, it, and none of these plans and surveys were ever integrated into any official plan for the Franco-Prussian War by the time of Neil's death. Unfortunately for France, Neil would die on the 13th of August in 1869 at the age of 66 during an operation for a bladder stone, which, he was said to be, which was said to be induced by the stress and nonstop efforts by Neil to push through his Garde Mobile plan and his other various military reforms against the opposition of many in the French legislative body. 
Marshal Neal would come to be succeeded in his post of Minister of War by the General Edmund Lebouf, who would, during his brief tenure from 1869 to 1870, undo or halt many of Neal's reforms, as he was a more traditionalist in regards to uh, viewing the military and saw the French military as more than adequate enough to fight against the Prussian forces. And in my personal opinion, the life of Adolf Neal and his proposed military reforms leads to us pondering one of the most interesting and important questions in history. What The what-if scenarios. What if Adolf Neal had lived to see through his reforms? What if the Franco-Prussian War started earlier and allowed Neal to see those reforms through? And what if the Corps Legislaf didn't restrict the Lloyd Neal as they had? In my opinion, if Neil had managed to put through these reforms, I think it's very likely that the French would not have succumbed as easily to the Franco-Prussian War as they did in real life. And it's even possible to consider that the French may have even won the Franco-Prussian War against the Prussian forces, as if they had been able to mobilize as strong of an army as the Prussians did at the onset of the war, it's likely they would not have been encircled as they were and as outmaneuvered as they were during the war. And it's possible that Napoleon may have been able to perform the action that he wanted to do, which was to actually invade the Rhineland across the River Rhine during the war, something which never happened since the Prussians managed to attack first. Thus ends the life and story of Adolf Neal, Marshal of France and Minister of War during the late 19th century. Join us next week on History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where we turn our eyes east to the Russian czars. 